0: Hey, everybody, this is Rob, and welcome to the House of X Book Club. We're covering uh, X Men number 30 and X Men number 31 today. Uh, with me, of course, is the regular cast of Misfits. We've got Roger here. Come on, come
1: all down to the squared circle. I'll tell you what, Buttercup, you better buckle up because it's going to be a good one tonight. Oh, yeah my god i've missed you Roger. <laughs> i've been practicing that one dude that's really good
0: yeah um and then of course uh, drew how's it going dude i can't follow that i'm doing good <laughs> yeah good <laughs> i bet you could though <laughs> uh we also have rowan hello and uh and of course shane what's happening well, let me tell you
2: something, brother. When the warlock wants to climb in the ring with the X-Men and scale to the top of the steel cage and drop that elbow, he's not going to stand a chance against Cyclops's 24-inch thighs.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly, you know, I said I missed Roger. When the you know who I really runs wild on you. <laughs> you know who I really miss right now? Mean Gene Okerlund. <laughs>
2: <laughs> give me a break rob <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay so uh we're covering a couple of x-men issues um but before we do i got a question uh for you guys now who in this group has not seen the x-men cartoon show the 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 original x-men animated series
1: everybody cool? uh, all yeah seen i've seen it for yeah. sure
0: mm-hmm. uh, do e- any do each of you have a favorite episode
1: I
3: was a kid when I watched it. I haven't watched it since then, so no. Drew loved them all. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, I like X-Men Evolution better.
0: (laughs) Yeah, okay.
2: It's much like Michael Bolton. I celebrate the man's entire uh, library.
0: (laughs) 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 Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, I'm just saying that because I'm kind of jazzed that they're bringing the X-Men animated series back. You know, recently I watched the entire old the old series in its entirety, and uh, it kind of blew my mind. It's still enjoyable, uh, but the, they're rebooting or at least continuing. And it feels like they're continuing from when it left off, like right where it left off, which is kind of neat at any rate. But let's go into something a little older than that, something a little more antiquarian. Um X-Men 30, the release date was January 10th, 1967, cover date is March of 1967, written by Roy Thomas, penciled by Jack Sparling, which is a name that, you know, is kind of unfamiliar, inked by John Tartaglioni, lettered by Artie Simic, and of course edited by Stan the Man Lee. The title of this story is The Warlock Wakes. Taking a look at the cover, you guys, how did you feel? What did you think when you first saw this, this cover?
2: Um, I was like, oh boy, more capes. And then (laughs) I flipped to the first page and I had a few thoughts right away. Hooray, our first filler issue. Yeah. Technically. Hooray, our first filler issue. This never ends poorly. Hooray, our first filler issue. The Taco Bell to our usual Wendy's.
0: Oh <laughs> yeah! once again dream's like i can't, can't talk i can't argue that
3: i'm a fan of filler issues though i'm not a fan of filler episodes and shows but i am a fan of filler issues in comics that's you know i'm gonna coming... i'm gonna
1: second that dude because yeah. i was listening to one of our earlier podcasts today and uh, we were talking about a filler issue and we were all like this is such a nice break from the usual Mm-hmm. It's it's really nice. It's pleasant.
0: I I think what you just said, Drew, was kind of funny, considering we've got a handful of bonus episodes uh, <laughs> that we're publishing.
2: <laughs> this isn't a
0: TV show. There you go.
2: Well, I think that I, it all depends on the timing of the filler issue. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a few times when um, I can think of there were bad ones. There was the cross time caper, okay. which was like a 27-part story. And then there was a filler issue in the middle. Yep. And then the same thing with the X Factor, I think it was the Judgment War or Judgment, judgment War. Yeah. Judgment was, War. Yeah. There were like part seven of that was a filler issue. Yeah. And and then there were uh, the and then the other one I can think of was just a few years ago where um it was in the new X-Men and Marvel released a filler issue in the middle of like a, just like a small three-story arc but um they didn't bother changing the numbering so that they wanted the the three-story arc to come out in order so they released i think it was 12 13 15 14 <laughs> okay. that was irritating as piss because i spent a good half an hour looking at the shelf going how the fuck did i miss number 14 before someone was like yeah it's not there yet
0: Mm. I always, uh, I always, I always felt like the miniseries, the Exterminators, felt like a, uh, uh, a filler issue.
2: Um. <laughs> the first one or the second one? Yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: I think it would have been the first one. So let's go ahead and intro this. Uh, before, before we started this little book club, I read these X Men comics, and I forgot about this issue completely. So, I want to start by talking briefly about the art. I quite enjoyed it. Jack Sparling only did one issue of the X-Men. Um, his pencils with Tartaglioni's inks are fun, energetic. we got this really classic look to them. Um, but I've noticed that Jack likes to fill a panel. There is a lot going on in every panel that he draws. Uh, he, We don't have a lot of art that we've seen or a lot of panels that we've seen empty space that they color with orange or pink or green, just because it, you know, just because they feel like they have to, uh, we've got motion lines or we got capes flowing around. Uh, there's always space being used by Jack Sparling. And I think that's really great. Um, also
2: I think that this issue was the first appearance of, The woman doing the weirdly arched back in the middle of action so that her boobs cut out a little bit more.
0: Oh, yeah. (laughs) Sparling did a little bit of Marvel here and there um, and into the early 90s. But Neil Gaiman fans might appreciate that. He's one of the creators of DC's Kane and Abel from House of Secrets and House of Mystery. Uh, Gaiman, of course, included those into his Sandman run. Anyway... I said briefly that I was, I was going to, you know, get on with it. So let's, let's go ahead and get on with it. Um, in this issue, a mysterious hand plucks the X-Men from their present location and brings them to a vague castle in a vague area of, well, I don't know, New York. Who knows really where it is? <laughs> I don't think we find out. At any rate, plucks them up, brings them to this castle, and the hand, of course, belongs to Warlock, who claims to be the actual Merlin, the magician. Warlock seems to have mental powers that rival Professor Xavier's, and he pits the X-Men. Excuse me, he immediately mind controls Jean Grey. I didn't want to. I didn't want to forget yeah. that. Yeah. And he plans on taking over the world with her as his queen. He pits the X-Men in a combat competition with his warriors and which are basically just a bunch of thugs with lasers uh but the x-men quickly defeat them and and they quickly defeat the warlock as well warlock goes back to sleep for another thousand or ten thousand years or whatever it is cross one x-men filler issue off your list um (laughs) that's that's it in a nutshell but but i enjoyed it now I'm curious, what do you guys think about the Warlock's powers? Like, what is his deal?
1: Roger's shaking his head. Uh, You know, I I didn't have many notes for this issue, but one of them was that on page 15, Warlock Merlin is shooting telekinetic, air quotes, bolts from his hand, and they look like fire. Like, (laughs) WTF, man, what's going on with this? Are they telekinetic? Are they... Is he using the Force? What's going on here? I just I don't get it.
0: In Camelot, that's what they look like.
1: I guess. (laughs) I don't know. And then was there like a vague reference to him possibly being a mutant? Yes. Or am I just thinking that?
0: No, no. They talk about him like he's a mutant.
1: Yeah. Now,
0: one of the things that we also learn in this is that he's not actually Merlin. Am I right about that? Did, Did. did like there was there a caption or something that said, "Oh yeah, he was in Iron Man or something like that," but he's not really Merlin. Um,
2: yeah, that was that. One, that was one of Stan's many editorial comments somewhere okay. in this book.
0: I'm going to back you guys up and say that was not necessary. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So so tell me, Drew, you you like this issue? Tell me tell me what you think about Warlock and his and his prowess warlock
3: was interesting you I know and mean, you you asked us you know what just to deal with his powers and honestly i don't know he just has powers couldn't mm-hmm. tell you what they are because he seems to be able to do just about a little bit of, like a jack of all trades a little bit of everything mm-hmm. um i i once i got past the fact that he wanted gene gray to be his queen which just out of nowhere you're my queen doesn't make any sense to me but once i got over that little like Ah, huh, that's weird. The whole issue was just kind of goofy, fun. like they're they're fighting you know, criminals because every every mastermind has to hire criminals. They can't actually like hire you know normal people or mercenaries or whatever. but they're 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 fighting thugs who were carrying laser rifles, but dressed in full suits of like medieval plate armor. That except was kind of, of fun, one,
0: except for that one naked guy or the guy in a tunic, uh, and
3: like was... they're they're jousting <laughs> on horseback and they're yeah. flying little hovercrafts they called them. There was just a little bit of you know everything, a little bit of sci-fi, a little bit of fantasy, a little bit of fun, a little bit of romance, a little bit of soap opera, mm-hmm. and the art was absolutely fantastic in this. The, yeah. the 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 actual layouts of the panels, the way he laid out all the panels on the pages was just absolutely fantastic
0: i kept looking at the war at warlock and you know he's got like this furrowed brow and his lips are pursed, and i'm like god you know he's he's this ancient sorcerer or mutant or whatever and he's got gene as his queen and he looks like someone's old crotchety uncle tony you know he's just he's just like all and I'm like, oh my god! And it was weird because you,
3: for <laughs> you know, besides the oh, I'm going to kidnap this woman and make her my wife thing, until the very end, he wasn't really that much of an asshole, mm-hmm. which is odd for an X Men villain. Like he was kind of gentlemanly, except for the and...
2: whole group kidnapping thing, right? <laughs> right, man.
3: <laughs> that, well, that's that's the exception, but like, yeah, once they were there, he was he he hosted them. Like, it was a tea party, almost. He's yeah. like, oh, this is my castle, this is this, this is that. I hope you're enjoying yourselves. Oh, by that, the way, you're, you're going to fight to your death now. You know? <laughs> so that's, like...
1: that's a sign of his level of intelligence. He's able to uh, roll with the punches. Uh, Maybe
0: so. I got to say, man, if you can just reach a giant hand and pluck the X-Men out of thin air, that's pretty powerful.
4: Yeah, it's... and you can be relaxed. You, you can, can be tell... relaxed and courteous. Because what do you have to worry about?
2: Well, I mean, clearly not costume design because he's wearing his grandma's bedsheets as his cape. So,
0: yeah, that is a great new move, by the I, way. I do want
4: to say something about this like <laughs> Gene as his bride. And I was thinking actually this morning, not about this issue specifically, but about how Gene is often written in these issues. And I was thinking about Stanley and Roy Thomas. I don't think that they're, I don't, I'm I'm saying this without thinking that they're particularly disrespectful to women. I'm saying, you know, there, there are women creators already. Um, Stanley seemed to kind of dig the innovations that came as, as creative creations came along, you know, with women characters and stuff like that. He seemed to dig that stuff as it came. Um, So it's not to say that you know, that they were, they're were they terrible sexists or anything like that. But I do think that there are two guys that don't know how to really write women and just can't even conceive of just writing her as like a teammate, as an equal, who's just one member of the team, who has actual formidable powers and can use them well, like everyone else. And that there's a, a, maybe an unconscious thought that girls and women are kind of for men. They're kind of for men. They are they're beautiful to look at. They, men desire them. And that is always going to be kind of part of the point of them when they're in the story. That's kind of part of the point of them when they're in the story. And they can't, they can't shake that in, the sto- in, the, in storytelling.
0: That's, that's interesting that you point that out. I mean, I, I, I'll agree with you there um i was thinking about how she's written as an object by Roy Thomas who's i have said i really like his writing in, in a lot mm. of different books um and i was thinking at some point i should go back and reread red sonia but then i'm thinking wait a minute as you're talking red sonia kind of is a character for men i mean she's this sexy sultry barbarian queen or whatever and mm. And uh, you know she's strong, but there's still like crazy TNA, and it's you know what I mean. So it's, it's very so...
3: fan servicey. Yeah. yeah, and I've never yeah. read it. I've never read Red Sonya, and I've always kind of stayed away from it because it just seems like a fan service book. And I don't, you don't have to well,
1: read it if you can see the cover art. that's exactly. enough Right there to yeah. tell you. Yeah. So,
2: and and when did you say that this book was published? Bob? This one here. Yeah. Like uh, what was the year?
0: Sixty-seven.
2: 67. So it was at least 15 years before someone went to any woman on the planet and was like, "So what's it like to be a woman in today's society?"
4: <laughs> yeah. Right, but it, it wasn't but you know there were things happening, you know. Yeah. It wasn't um that wasn't off the table. There there you know, there were there was noise being made. Oh yeah. You know, <laughs> "Women's Lib" was a phrase actually in the book. We've read it already.
3: Yeah. Uh, the- they very much do write Gene, not as a teammate, but more as a team mascot.
1: I and will say, though, I will say that I feel like, and you guys correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like they're starting to move away from it in, in just a few issues. A little stuttering, bit. A little stuttering bit. little
3: steps, yeah. I,
1: right. I, I
4: think they, I do think they're trying. I'm not saying any of this without like this idea that they're not trying. It's at least in storytelling. They can't quite let go of that concept.
2: Yeah, I just I do sometimes have to. It is on repeat in my mind. At least it's not Superman's girlfriend Lois Lane. At least it's not <laughs> Superman's girlfriend Lois Lane.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I'm gonna pull,
1: uh, I'm gonna pull a little Stan Lee moment here and and put up a little box that says, as seen in previous issues, True Believer Shane has previously said, <laughs> Stan the man Lee has never actually talked to a real woman. <laughs>
3: I think we've also said he's never talked to a real person.
2: Yeah, he doesn't know he's never talked to people.
0: <laughs> I
3: think we've
2: said both.
0: <laughs> um so I said earlier that that Orlock probably showed up in Iron Man, but if you guys really want to read where his his earlier appearance is, it's uh Thor Annual number 2. There's something in this issue that I I feel kind of sad. Like I feel like this is the loss. This is like the last issue that we're ever going to see. A really important part of Professor Xavier, and 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 I don't know, it's it's, but you know, maybe it's not a big deal. This is the final issue of Professor Xavier's mechanical legs,
1: and they forget about them, by the way, <laughs> halfway through. I mean, <laughs> uh, not not to not to spoil the end, <laughs> but he does keep one of those little hovercraft things. Oh my And God. I can't help but wonder when I read that. I can't help but wonder. If that's not the basis for his hover chair later on.
0: Yeah, it's converted. Yeah. Like we're just gonna put sides on this thing and a yeah. door. Maybe, Paint it gold. You know, put a little cruise control in it. And, <laughs> you know, a <laughs> cup holder.
2: <laughs> Climate yeah. control for my anus.
3: The, oh. <laughs> uh, the only negative note that I had about this issue, because I didn't really have any notes to be honest. There's very few. But um on the very last panel. Of the very last page, Jean is wondering to herself, apparently Cyclops said or did something or looked at her in a, in a loving manner, Lolly, you know, blah, blah. And she's like, well, maybe, maybe he really does love me, but why has he never told me? Well, bitch, you never told him either. So there you go.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: I don't know. There was, there was a few things that bugged me about this one. Like uh, page four. I was I thought I was like to my I was myself I was like I wish that Stan would stop calling me pussycat. I yeah. feel like at any moment I'm going to wake up in his basement with no shirt on drinking wine out of jelly jars. And then hey. something bad will happen.
3: I do my my one I did like a recap note for this issue and and I want to I want to read it cuz it sends it up and it says I, it. I I really liked this issue. It threw you right into the action and it never stopped the villain's motives made sense and there was not nearly as much exposition as we've seen in previous issues it's the perfect one shot issue and the new stand-in artist was great probably the best issue we've seen in so far as technical terms such as writing and the layouts and the art and etc but it's still not as fun as the locust issue
1: the locust okay. issue will always be in our hearts it's yes, always going it?
3: to be in mine i'm going to i'm <laughs> going to i'm going to find it and i'm going to frame it i'm going to put it on my it wall was, above my bed it was
1: just so damn weird that was
3: the awesome. joy of it, though. yeah, like, that's that's the joy of one-shot issues is they yeah. just do goofy, random, weird stuff you mm-hmm. won't see
1: anywhere do they they don't really do stuff like that anymore, do they?
2: Rarely? The one shots are pretty rare and few and far yeah. between. I think that, okay. Um, but uh, I mean, do you now that okay, there's a good question. Do you think that the locust issue was a filler issue? because it had the regular team on it. So it would appear, that it was more of a Monster of the Week, where this one definitely had filler issue vibes, don't you think? Yeah,
3: I kind of see Monster of the Week as filler issues, though, because we are getting more into a story arc style, you know, episodic storytelling kind of vibe from it.
2: But I mean, to the other side of that, too, it's it's not just the Monster of the Week type setting. It was the whole setup of the issue, where it's like, the hand grabs him and pulls him to oh, another dimension. Oh, I see what you're saying. And it's like, it didn't, there was like, there was no continuity. Like there was no Jean baking a bear, cherry pie with her telekinesis. There, you know, <laughs> Iceman <laughs> making Paul Vault and practicing for the summer, the Winter
0: Olympics or
2: anything like yeah. that. Eating ice part. cream
0: to his pet giraffe.
2: That's right. Yeah. It just jumped right into their um, being, you know, we're going right into the action it's well we we had to fill in and we we needed we didn't have time to go back and give the exposition that we normally do mm-hmm. that takes up the first 5 pages of every book.
1: Well, I remember it- remember though that we had a guest penciler for this issue. So to me that alone makes it a filler. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's I mean that generally is kind of the definition of when you have a as a filler yeah. issue is when the regular penciler or the regular artist is not a part of the team.
0: Yeah. Cross time caper for Excalibur, it was Ron and Lim. <laughs> uh-huh.
3: <laughs> I, I think though, Shane, to your point, um, kind of the most filler issue in the same vein as this, that we've seen is probably the Kazar issue where they're just, Oh, we're not in New York anymore. We're going to go to the Antarctic and go to the Savage lands.
2: Yeah, so, but even, uh, you... even still, that one had a through line where it was like part of what they were doing and it mm-hmm. impacted other stuff within the Marvel Universe. Did so it? for example, with yeah. the Locus, that tied into Jean Grey going to school and, and where she was going to school and it had a through line. This one skipped all of that and went right into, into the action and possibly the first appearance of the man bun <laughs> um.
0: <laughs> no 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 Toshiro Mafuni. Um. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean I
2: I feel like there were just there was enough here for it to fit to that made it feel more like a filler issue than what the locust issue was.
3: Yeah, I don't know. That's that's interesting. I've never thought of it that way before. So I, as we go through and read more of these I'll definitely keep that in mind.
0: So I also wanted to bring up something here about what's the deal with merlin's crypt so it's just like in some random new york museum
2: in in some museum and he's got uh medieval knights with machine guns (laughs) (laughs)
0: laser machine guns now he he did hire a bunch of thugs these guys were
1: you know muggers and uh you know how do you do that how do you just like put out a an ad in the newspaper hey looking for low-life thugs to come fill no, out my army
0: you, you put it? your hand through time and you pluck them out of where they are oh, yes and then they're you like then Holy make them shit, an offer
1: whatever you say dude we'll do it yep i like the way well, rowan said that you make them an offer yeah like you know <laughs> can't refuse
2: no well, I when, am- at that at, during this era you would put an ad in Soldier of Fortune magazine.
1: Yeah, that's
0: fair. <laughs> Actually, yeah. Although mm-hmm. you might have gotten some better offers. I mean, some better prospects if you'd done yeah. that. Um, you know, like Drew said, maybe some actual mercenaries instead of the guy that knocked over the um, Seven <laughs> Eleven back page
2: of
3: SFX. and failed
0: to knock over the Seven Eleven. Failed. Well, yeah. So Warlock tells him, "You won't defeat my men." Ha ha ha. You know and. Beast is like I could take all these guys with both feet tied behind my back, you know. <laughs> well, anyway, I I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good, you enjoyed it, it. A, a good fresh air, you know, breath of fresh air. It was like a good uh, reprieve of the usual, and and I like Jack Sparling's art. He did an issue uh in the 80s or 90s. Like I said, I was a DC horror fan at the time, and it was Elvira's House of Mystery. And he drew. He drew that.
2: I remember that one. That was yeah. like I think one of my favorite pictures of Elvira. Is the yeah, one he drew for that yeah. cover, because yeah. I feel like it was the first time that it. I mean, there was the, the the typical Elvira framework there, but she honestly looked a little scary in that. C-
0: creepy, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that was his work. Um, but anyway, that was the Warlock wakes, and I I dug it. I, I again, I, I kind of want hope, you know, Drew kind of hope we see more issues kind of like this. Uh, I'm fine with not seeing the whole front page where the, everybody talks about their powers or where they're sitting around the table eating food that Gene brings to them or, uh, you know, wa- sitting around Professor Xavier's TV watching the news so they can decide what mutant to go try to recruit or beat up next. You know, this was just, it was cool.
2: There were a, like, a, were a couple of things with the art, though, because I felt like it, you could see where some of it was rushed, uh-huh. because I feel like for like a good portion of the, the issue, it looks like Jean Grey just shook her head and her mask is a little like kind of it doesn't it's not straight lines. It's all it's all kind of wavy, like she just turned her head quickly to the left um, and and the Pegasus unicorns really all have questionable horns. It was like, well, oh,
1: yeah,
0: they are. They are we are. We don't horn shame Shane. <laughs> yeah, no horn, no, horn shaming. And <laughs> uh, uh, he he talks about how they're not magical; they're mutations that he himself has designed, which I think is interesting.
2: Designer mutations, yeah. yeah and Shane, then it just is weird. I'm not sure what Jean is doing while she's riding the Pegasus the first time they show her, but right. it looks like she's doing the safety dance. And I find it it's ironic that she's doing the safety dance while riding a flying horse. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yes. You can dance if you want to, but you probably shouldn't.
1: You can leave your friends behind.
0: That's right. It, well, yeah.
2: Oh, no, she think. almost did.
0: Yeah. She tried to.
2: <laughs> oh, well, and the other the other one was his his um Merlin's warlock's hat. Uh-huh. It looks like a deflated frog dying on his head it's like a <laughs> boneless frog
3: where is he wearing a hat
2: through a the whole thing.
3: Thing. yeah it's a little headdress that's not just his hair oh my dear oh, yeah no you're right i didn't even notice that i just okay. just i blanked that that was just part of his hair to me you're right though
2: <laughs> yeah and then now that i look at it it's like these these hired goons are like the shitty precursor to cobra
0: yeah that's what i was thinking too yep yeah and knowing's half the battle so go joe (laughs) let's get into x-men 31 shall we um the release date on this is february 14th 1967 the cover date is april of 1967 of course we have roy thomas writing back to werner rock doing the pencils John Tartaglioni doing the inks, Sam Rosen doing the letters, and of course Dan as an editor. The title is We Must Destroy the Cobalt Man. Um, yeah, I, I don't think you really have to. Don't you don't nope. have to destroy anybody.
2: And with their track record, it's
0: probably not gonna happen anyway. <laughs> <laughs>
1: It's not going to happen anyway. Nobody's they'll ever. let him walk away at the end. Who cares? Nobody, I feel like yeah. they
2: missed a good naming opportunity here and would have really shown foresight into what would happen in the future. This could have been Cobalt Man equals Iron Man 2 electric boogaloo. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, my God. Well, oh shit. Um, before we jump in, I wanted to point out the cover by Dan Adkins. This art to me is really clean. Um. I can't speak to perspective here but I feel like he wanted to play with angles and shapes and he was trying to make art not just a comic book action scene. It I found it to be interesting.
2: There's some odd things like the top half of Cyclops's legs are the same length as the bottom half of his legs. <laughs> and the and when X when Professor X is above the X-Men title, I'm always thrown up cuz it's like, oh, you know, Cobalt man is about to kill Iceman while Professor X is pooping
0: that's that's <laughs> really just part of the logo, though <laughs> his head up there is on it's on many issues. It really is just part of the logo uh, as always, things go wrong when the X-Men get some time off. Scott and Warren go to meet Jean at college where she's hanging out with Ted roberts her her new friend, well, not new friend anymore. um remember Ted's always trying to live up to the legend of Ralph Ralph I think yes Uh, Ralph of course is very competitive and and he he shows up he tries to strut his stuff in front of Ted and Gene but he bangs his head and suffers some serious embarrassment Um, Ralph used to work for Tony Stark we find out and he takes Gene and Ted to his current lab where he talks a little smack ...about Stark tech, and he shows him his Cobalt Man armor... ...in an attempt to impress Ted. Uh, He he starts to lose his mind, I guess. He wrecks the lab, and he heads to Stark Industries... ...to beat up his old boss. Of course, there's a big fight with the X-Men... ...and they realize that the longer Ralph is in the armor... ...the closer he gets to blowing up. In the end, Ralph comes to his senses, but with some memory loss... And it was all because of the bop on the head, apparently.
1: Um, yeah, he didn't have to be mind wiped by the professor this time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they found an alternative way to do that.
3: It was, it was the whole that whole thing was weird because he had like a change in personality because he supposedly yeah. had a concussion, but then mm-hmm. he lost his memory at the end because he had the same concussion. Made no sense.
2: You're fooling yourself. He lost his memory at the end of the book because <laughs> Professor x y, came to...
0: <laughs> I was thinking about this the other day where Shane in, in a previous episode is like, Professor Xavier is mind manipulating all the people in the hospital. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't say that in the book, but Shane is certain. <laughs> I mean, he says this knowingly. <laughs> it's the only way he would, that the hospital would allow Professor to go see the X Men while they're in their hospital rooms.
2: <laughs> well, it's just the way he vehemently denies the fact that, by the way, we're not associated in any way, but let me in the girl's room. I want to, you know. That's <laughs> <laughs> a good point. No, it's I need a good to point. get in
0: there and adjust the bedpan. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh Scott Scott going to see Gene had to be set up by that bald little cupid Professor Xavier. There's a scene in here where you know he Xavier says to to Cyclops, uh, yes, why don't you take this book? Was it take a book or pick a book up? At any rate, uh, go take this book to Gene. I told her she could borrow it. And Scott's like, Oh, okay, thanks, Professor. And it's it's like Scott is not doing this shit on his own. He needs a little help here, it was <laughs> so awkward, like I understand why he did it,
3: but it was him being a matchmaker was so awkward, yeah, like that just shouldn't happen again, yeah,
2: Especially... because it it wasn't that that way long ago that Professor X wanted to take a turn <laughs> if if only he had working legs, remember yeah. right, right? Well, everyone has issues as to why they can't you know perform perform yeah. with Gene. so. <laughs>
0: I mean, her age might be one
3: of those. Yeah, you know? well, you know. Yeah. The, um, this page, though, this page four where he, he sets him up. I So also on this page, Warren, um, Warren gives Scott a ride to the college. And mm-hmm. basically he says, hey, I know you have feelings for Jean. You know I have feelings for Jean. Let's go see Jean and let's get this sorted out and taken care of. Make and like, choose. And that's a little messed up, but god damn was I hoping it actually happened like
1: (laughs) i uh, especially
3: like since we as the audience know that gene loves scott and apparently has no interest in warren it's like why are we even continuing this after you know 10 15 you know 31 issues essentially like let's just get it over with
2: because she never actually says it out loud
1: no
3: but she says it with her mind Mm.
1: I enjoyed that that panel, and I thought that it was a nice pressure <laughs> release, and it was finally put things in perspective. One of the characters decided to grow up, cross mm-hmm. some cojones, do the right thing, put it out on the table, and be not be a douche about it. I was just like, it also,
3: man. it also, I don't know,
4: not be a douche about it. It might be a little douchey to go up to Gene and be like, choose,
1: yeah, yeah but choose they didn't do one
4: that. of us. No, but that. that's what he said. We're gonna go. We're gonna go there and make her choose.
3: It was also it, I liked it for the fact that it it eased the tension between Warren and Scott. Yes. Like mm-hmm. after that, yes. they were buddy buddy, and I was like, okay, this is what a team should be
0: like. Like, good. Yeah.
1: Open yes. communication.
0: Yes,
2: I love that fact, part. Was cool.
0: I love the fact that Roger just spoke Spanish and French in the same sentence.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Cajones and douche. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like multilingual
1: and stuff.
2: I had completely missed that whole interaction because I was irritated by the previous page where they all sat around and spent time talking about all the villains. They just let walk off into the sunset.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Oh Well, Well, in case anyone's following along and is is interested, it is the
0: third panel on page four. uh, Indeed. So speaking of cupids, Gene and Ted, there's this bit where Jean is really worried about him. You know, she's she's worried about Ted and and you know how it's it's interesting because we see we've been seeing them for the last several issues, kind of hanging out together. You know, at a picnic together, or walking, to, or sharing an orange drink together. And uh, she does have some concern for him. So I actually. Uh, I mean I know know it's not going to happen but I'm like god I wish she and Ted would just get together you know just flip off flip off uh Scott Summers you know Ted and Jean they could have their own like mini series um yeah. yeah Marvel girl's boyfriend Ted Roberts <laughs> <laughs> You know, Ted spends episode, issue after issue, trying to make her jealous by trying to marry some other guy. (laughs) (laughs) Ted tries to marry a construction worker to make Marvel Girl jealous.
1: (laughs) Oh, man.
2: The next issue, Ted tries to marry the eel.
0: That would have been a great exterminator's uh, uh, filler issue um <laughs> hey
2: hey i'll have you know you could do a lot worse than an eel i'll tell you what right now that ted he'd be lucky to marry an eel
0: yeah well this not just true the eel says that but he is still single i feel like um, i feel like ted would
3: probably go for the unicorn
2: i'm playing the bucket <laughs> I, I, I got on that app plenty of fish but um I don't think that is what it what I thought it was for. <laughs> Do you see Namor on there? Namor, um, Namorita. They're both on there. Um, who else? Um uh I saw the what was it, Tiger Shark. Um, you know, he's 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 pretty wicked, but those stripes kind of clash with the the solid colors that I like to wear. So <laughs> it, it wasn't gonna work out between us.
0: Oh, I want more of the eel in the X-Men. I do. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I've been telling them, but they won't <laughs> they know It's It just You know, when you send in letters to Stan, he takes a while to um to wait. Wait, what? Uh, hold on a second. What? What? Oh, um they just said that Stan's not the
0: editor anymore. Uh, All <laughs> <laughs> <Start> right. <writing. laughs> it's been a while. It's been a while start writing <laughs> so now let's also look at uh, another relationship bobby and hank those two <laughs> um well actually i mean bobby and hank and vera and zelda so bobby and hank are out with vera and zelda again and they go to the coffee a go and bernard the poet starts trying to make time with zelda bobby handled that so smooth oh i loved that, it that was great yeah, he uh, he froze Bernard the poet's espresso, froze it solid. Yeah, I thought that was great. And uh, Bernard the poet was like, "Oh, I guess that means I should go." Me, I'd have been banging it on the table, going, "What the hell happened here?" You know? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Why does Bernard look like Sigmund Freud all of a sudden? Because it's really weird.
0: They are yet one and the same. Um. <laughs> And
3: for just so that the audience can uh, appreciate Bernard the same way that we are right now, he was doing slam poetry
0: about a yo-yo. Yes. Yeah. And and she was really into it too. Zelda was <laughs> digging that poem. She's like, "Oh my god, it's wonderful."
1: Cyanist should Oh uh, yeah. And I <laughs> She's do not your, to your type, as Ice Man. As possible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: Next week everyone will come and hear my old to the Frisbee. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: so either 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 Stan did not understand counterculture when he tried to have his writers injected yeah. into the books, mm-hmm. or on page eight, we saw the disturbing trend that carries to this day where that young lady dancing with that young fella. Calls him
0: dad. <laughs> oh, dang. Who's your favorite new kid? Um, <laughs> dad. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, well, uh, oh, let's also think talk about uh, Warren going to the dance club, because this brings up the first appearance of a character that that sticks with the X-Men for quite a while. And he runs into Candy Southern, who, like I said, she becomes a longtime sweetheart for, for Angel, and is around for a long time. So, um, I thought Did their Ice interaction Man was Did date her, dead. too,
2: or am I insane? Say again? Did Iceman date her, too?
0: No, I think it was just War. I think it was just Angel.
2: Okay.
1: okay. It was weird, though. On page 14, Angel makes this, like, fourth wall break comment. Where he talks about meeting candy as if it was written and i'm like well it was dude
3: on page 14 <laughs> he also decides to give up on gene just out of the blue yeah. just because yep. he met candy which was interesting and very sudden
1: he turned his head yeah
3: i um i did have a note on on page on page eight that is uh, my my uh, my note says oh warren's little angel is taking flight tonight but seriously though, can he even do that with a non-mutant? How would he hide
0: his wing- hide his wings? I guess he can poo bear it, but that's weird. So what <laughs> they do is they fly up in the air, and this this you know they fly up in the air, they entangle, they copulate, they fall, and then you know he flings her away. Oh shit, she doesn't have wings. Yeah. Right, but he's supposed <laughs> to hide his wings from
3: everybody, so if he <laughs> takes his shirt off, she's going to see his wings and the bondage suit that he's wearing underneath.
0: Dude, you just got to She just might be into that. Yeah. She yeah, might be. You just got to own it. Look, I'm into bondage, and I have wings. <laughs> you know, Bobby's been tying me up. It's not the same. I need some help from you.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what Warren
2: says to Candy. <laughs> to quote the great scholar Jimmy Puff. Let's do it doggy style, so we can both watch X Files. <laughs> now she can't see the wings. Boy, now I'll never watch <laughs> X Files. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, so, so yeah, Candy Southern shows up, and I was actually pretty stoked to see Candy because, again, uh, even into you know through Claremont's run, Candy is around quite a bit. So it, it was kind of cool to to see a character that a side character that I recognized from. You know this this far back, but at any rate, let's talk about Wal- Ralph. Let's talk about Ralph's, A.K.A. Cobalt Man's well being. Um, he took a knock on the head, but also he's wearing a radioactive suit of armor, and that can't be healthy. I mean, maybe that has something to do with his damn memory.
4: I guess it didn't really say in the comics, but I kind of interpreted his personality change. Even though I, I mean, I, the the knock on the head came into play for me. But I kind of thought him putting the suit on did something. Like he puts the suit on and then he just starts acting weird, you know.
2: Like yeah, it was the cause it was made of cobalt and he's like getting some sort of radium poisoning or something like that. Right, right.
0: Well, we we already know that this is this is a, a thing that the writers at least don't quite know about yet. Remember it's like uh you know, oh if only my wings were made of asbestos or you know. Yeah. Um, but may maybe it's art imitating life. I don't know. Uh at any rate he uh yeah. He's he's a bit he's a bit loopy. And uh I don't know. I think in a real world it might have something to do with the radioactive nature of the cobalt suit of armor.
2: <laughs> or yeah, some kind of chemical poisoning, you know.
0: I did like well, not suit, only though. that,
2: but he's flying around over a neighborhood. That's how like six new X Men got their powers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: they didn't have to put their nards in the uh, re- re- reactor. Uh, Kitty Pryde's parents were yeah, right. down there making her.
2: That's right. I just think I would have liked that. One thing I wish would have happened is if he had suffered the. Um, head wound before he built the suit because it would have explained the shitty placement of the power button.
0: Boy, we see that again and again, don't we? That that power button right on the chest. All you got to do is reach out and go boop and they're like, oh, damn.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But also the other side of that is like if that's where the power button is, how was he able to reach down and turn it on? Yeah. The power wasn't on. (laughs) He was fully in the suit, and then he turned it on, which enabled him to move. What?
0: I think you got to turn it on first. (laughs) got to warm up the engine before you can, you know, before you can drive out of the garage.
2: Before you irradiate your testicles.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Something Uh, I noticed in this episode is on page 12, where Jean says, I think she's talking to Scott, but she says, I can take care of myself you go. I actually thought that was kind of a nice little... Yeah. That's Fuck exactly. you, I'm not just a girl, I can do things to Well, that's a good point, too, is they actually
0: act as a team, the two of them, in yeah. this,
1: this bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they both
0: use their powers to help each other out, they get trapped, they, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And, I mean, at this point, you're like, finally, you're like, oh, these two can actually do stuff on their own you know they don't need Xavier to help them they don't need the rest of the X-Men to help them so that's pretty cool I thought that was a really neat you know it was a really neat thing that they, they did here.
1: yeah that's that's what I meant earlier when I said I think that the the writing's getting slightly better and she's developing more as a character
0: yeah so Marvel Girls identity not a secret Ted seems to hint that he might have figured out uh, that Jane's Marvel Girl uh, and yep. I, I want to know how It couldn't possibly be the red hair.
1: (laughs) Or the voice. Or the voice. (laughs) Or she's the same size.
0: (laughs) Or how she holds her hand when she's... (laughs) Yeah. That's the power of a domino mask, though.
2: I I was going to say, it's hard to tell because it's all a written word, but Gene
0: actually does the Batman voice. (laughs) (laughs) Gene. I thought I was Batman. Um... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, I I I'm curious. I don't know this offhand, but I'm curious to see if maybe this pops up again. I guess we'll find out in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a couple of uh, cameos in this in this issue. Um, one of them is, of course, one of my favorite X Men characters. But uh, the first one, is, well, not the first one. The other one is the first one. But Iron Man kind of pops in in a frame or two. Yeah. <laughs> Because <laughs> they're talking about start technology, so they have to have him at least fly to the office. Um, <laughs> but but the big one to me is the cameo of that fucking locked door. <laughs> 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 Xavier's like you know top secret dungeon.
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, in this issue, we head to ex- Professor X's secret porn closet to yep. see what excitement it holds.
0: We we all know what's in there, right? I mean nobody just say it, but but you all know what's in that door?
2: I'm pretty sure, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah.
0: I don't yet, but Okay. It'll be fun to find out.
3: Yeah.
1: Well Drew
2: wasn't with us when we experienced this part, right? This is
1: true. Yeah, this is true. And apparently It's a lot of leather, that's all I'm gonna say.
3: (laughs) 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 One thing I, I liked about this issue, um, we we've, we've talked about this briefly in the past where they they all had to make their way well not they all but um Bobby and Hank and Warren all had to make their way to the fight and Warren of course drives his Mustang there
1: because he would but then, <laughs> but then
3: then Bobby and Hank hail a cab and the cabby kicks them out in the middle of nowhere because they don't have, they don't have enough money to pay for it
0: well, that's because they left Zelda, which is, uh, you know, the money. That, yeah, <laughs> that's.
2: She's there. Oh. She's their Front person.
0: Yeah, she's the one with all the cash.
4: Oh, <laughs> this is so bad.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, at any rate, I, I think that locked door haunts us. It haunts me, anyway. And the fact that Xavier has his own gimp tied up someplace is, is also creepy. But. <laughs> I, oh, and then, um, and then Ted shows up to the fight in yeah. the Mystery Machine. That's well, great. <laughs> <laughs> not everybody has a Mustang, so Ralph as Cobalt Man shows up again later in comics.
1: How many more times can he bang his head on something and not die from it? I mean, seriously.
0: <laughs> well, at least once more. I, I, yeah. I am. I wager that the closer we get to like modern age comics. It's gonna be the the radioactive, uh, you know, radioactive poisoning. But,
4: Is he just that mad that he won't share his secrets with the government?
0: I, no, I read it's a little like bit, Iron
4: Man. Share your secrets with the government.
0: I read a little That's... bit of another issue, and he was a perfectly normal, perfectly nice guy. Um, you know, he had on a white lab coat, little graying at the temples, so as to show us that it's in the future. He's, you know, distinguished and whatnot. But that and, was and that snapped. was his thing. Yeah,
4: that was his thing. Tony Stark won't share his secrets of Iron Man with the government.
0: Thought he was a traitor. He even said that he would share the uh, Cobalt Man inf- uh, uh, technology with the government. So, final thoughts on this issue, you guys?
2: I thought it was neat that we saw Cyclops and Jean Grey sneak into the back of a van together. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of fun <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah just the, the their lack of transportation when you know professor x is going into his drinking and cry, crying closet is hmm. odd i mean how like when did he i feel like he spent all that money on a helicopter and a jet and uh, like a convertible Model T and a pirate ship. Like, why did they have like like Wait, a Toyota right. Celica that they could cruise around in when he's not going with them?
0: Yeah, at least mm-hmm.
2: I figure at least Warren is old enough to have a driver's license, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. I, actually, everybody I think at this point is old enough to have a driver's license.
2: Yeah, because we're five years from from the start of the book. Yeah, so that means that. Uh, Like Bobby was the youngest, so he'd be twenty-one by now.
4: Yeah, well they went they were someplace where I guess taking cabs makes more sense. And then Gene and Scott had hit were riding with with Ted and Ralph. So the logistics kind of were explained in this particular issue as far why they were having trouble getting to where they were going.
1: I like this issue overall because I thought it had some neat little tidbit character developments and story developments like this, like them not having money for a cab. And they kind of pointed out, I think Hank says something like, there's no money in being a superhero. They're not government-sponsored or anything else. They're just, you know, essentially illegal vigilantes running around doing whatever they do. But
4: Yeah, well, the wealthy Professor X ought to give them cab money. It's kind yep. of silly. At <laughs> least emergency cab money that they don't spend unless they get called back. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's that wouldn't create drama,
2: I guess. Or, you yeah. know, he could teach Gene how to use her telepathy to summon, summon randos to drive her. Around. Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy, <laughs> I,
3: I I like this issue because the the first half was definitely front loaded with with character development and yeah fun little scenes like the at the agogo place I can't remember the name of it coffee the, Ogogo. yeah the coffee agogo and then Warren at the other he thought it was a bar or, or a restaurant or something and it turned into a, a nightclub and that's where he met Candy and like that that was that was pretty cool for character development and then yeah. the second half of the book was this you know pretty. Interesting fight with the Cobalt Man and them mm-hmm. trying to problem solve in a way where they didn't actually hurt him because if they hurt him he would die, but he wouldn't only die, but he'd blow up a huge section of the city, and it
0: it was it was good, mm-hmm. it was fun, yeah, creative, I, I, yeah, I think so too.
2: I hope that they continue to kind of shake it up a little bit because like like we were saying that, and I had said that it looked like it might be a uh, that was one of the indications was the filler issue was the the cookie cutter approach to the issues was gone. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I hope that that remains, that they do stop with the kind of lather, rinse, repeat formula that they've been using to, to approach to the issues Yeah, up to this point. Yeah,
3: that's, this issue to me really it felt like uh, Roy Thomas was really taking the reins as far as writing direction. And I, it might change again because I haven't read beyond to this point. But it feels like Stan is no longer scripting things or outlining things or, or making Roy write the stories that Stan wants to tell. It kind of it feels like Roy is
0: now the X Men writer. Mm-hmm. Well, that's actually a great point. In that, even with Stan connected to the book, there has to be a lot of his influence. And so he's been the editor all this time, which means it's probably got to go his way, regardless of who's writing. Um, Yeah, I
2: mean, and you could see that, too, because, like, there'll be like 10 pages of, of, you know, dialogue that's like, you know, cohesive and easy to read. And you could just see. Stan went to him at some point and Is like, yeah, like on page twelve. Couldn't you have somebody say Shibuya Dingle" or something like that?
0: <laughs> I think it's or, enough that
3: somebody said it here, <laughs> or or Stan just erased the actual text and
0: wrote it in himself there, and Roy that, just well, never knew. I mean, I you know, I he was I the didn't editor. Yep. Yeah, that's, that's a possibility. We've Impossible. even possible. Heard- we've talked about how he had people come in and, and, you know, finish up other, other people's work, you know, because he didn't like the way things were going or they didn't, you know, they didn't finish it or whatnot. That's a possibility. Well, Rob, what did you think of it? Um, I enjoyed it. No, I liked it. I, again, I liked that it was a departure. Um, it still felt like it was a little self-contained, you know, so it did for me have a little feel of, uh, uh, filler issue. Um, and I, I felt, I think one of the things I really liked about it was I felt like this wasn't an X-Men villain. This was an Iron Man villain that the X-Men were getting to fight.
1: I kind of like that because it's kind of crossing over between books yeah. indirectly.
0: Yeah. And you, I remember in the eighties, it was a big deal when acts of vengeance happened because Magneto never went around fighting Captain America, you know? And so it was cool. Um uh, mm-hmm. You know, Spider-Man didn't have to worry about Sentinels until he did. <laughs> you know, so when I see that kind of thing, I'm I I really I like it. I enjoy it. All that said, I guess that that's a wrap, and I I really enjoyed reading them both issues. So, um, next couple issues that we're gonna be reading, we're gonna read 32 and 33, and uh, these two issues. I guess it's a spoiler to say, say, say for for Drew because he hasn't read past this, But uh, beware the Juggernaut, my son. We're gonna meet, we're gonna meet an old favorite villain, and uh, you know, step brother of Charles Xavier, the Juggernaut. So, thanks again for joining us, and I thank everybody here. You guys, you guys are great. I'm glad we're reading these books together.
2: It's been fun. a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. yeah. It's cool. All right. All right, well, we'll see you, everybody. Take care.
2: Good
4: night.